Hello, and welcome back to the Back Hat Pack. In my last episode, I discussed the lives of two women significant in the Washington State women's suffrage movement. They are May Arkwright Hudson and Emma Smith DeVoe. I also hinted at the subject of this episode, which I'll be covering the conflict between these women leading up to the National American Women's Suffrage Association Convention in 1909. And I'll also be covering my interview with Dr. Dale Soden about activist movements in the Pacific Northwest. Dr. Soden is a history professor at Whitworth University and specializes in American intellectual history, Pacific Northwest history, and American religious history. I sat down with Soden, and by sat down I mean zoomed, and asked him a few questions about activism in the Pacific Northwest and how socioeconomic status influences movements and individuals. But first, I need to give you listeners some context for our conversation and kind of the tea between DeVoe and Hutton. As I go through the story of the 1909 convention, I'll also be interjecting with parts of my interview with Dale. So stay tuned. Okay, so the National American Women's Suffrage Association, or NAWSA, convention of 1909 was held in Plymouth Congregational Church in Seattle. Delegates from all over Washington State came to the convention to discuss ideas and to vote for the next president of the Washington Equal Suffrage Association, or WESA, W-E-S-A, for which DeVoe was the incumbent. Now, the the WESA was just the state suffrage association. Um, So not everything was peachy keen going into this convention, because there was a division occurring within the Washington suffrage movement between younger women wanting more radical approaches and generally like older women in the movement wanting to continue with the still hunt strategy that we discussed in the last episode with maybe some like, added components like um, postering and parades. Now, Emma DeVoe was, f- was a firm supporter of the still hunt and believed that the suffrage movement needed to convince, you know, particular men or maybe like the wives of like important men to support women's suffrage so they could get the vote. Now, May Arkwright Hutton didn't outright support the radical methods, which were inspired by English suffragettes, but she definitely disagreed with DeVoe's administrative methods as the WESA president. Now, in January of 1909, the convention was in June, so like six months before, the vote for women's suffrage was up in the Washington legislature in the House, and it actually passed, and then it went off to the Senate. Um, And in the Senate, there was like a possibility of it not being passed, and DeVoe, as WESA president, told members not to go to senators and push for it. However, Hutton definitely pushed senators to vote to give women the right to vote. Um, There's a story of a senator saying that she was very unladylike and just very aggressive. And that definitely caused some problems for Hutton. 
focusing on that conflict. Like yeah. To push more or just to kind of hold on and be waiting game. Mm-hmm. Well, I would just say quickly, I mean, I think, I, I think that's a, a, a common dynamic within uh, activists and protest movements, uh, people wanting to push harder and then groups that are supportive of change but um, hoping not to alienate uh, whether it's, in that case, existing voters or just the general, the general public. Um, and so it, it's... It, it, frequently happens. One major difference between DeVoe and Hutton were their socioeconomic backgrounds. Hutton, as explored in the last episode, came from a, like a lower class. Um, she came out west on her own volition. She worked in Idaho in a mining towns as a cook. She traveled the Oregon Trail kind of by herself. Um, she was kind of on the lower class, the working class, and then got exceedingly rich. DeVoe, on the other hand, grew up in the middle class, very respectable, um, did everything a lady was expected to do at that time. But, you know, at the time that we're discussing, she didn't have the funds, she didn't have the money that Hutton did. And Hutton didn't have the respectability that devoted, especially how they were perceived. Hutton was a bigger, flamboyant woman, and people describe her as not fitting in to any social circle, so she made her own. And DeVoe fit into any social circle, but maybe wasn't well-liked in that. And so, in this next clip of my interview with Dale, I kind of... I ask a question about social economic status and how that plays in to activism. One thing that I found in my research is that Emma Smith-DeVoe and Mayor Greg Hutton came from vastly different socioeconomic mm-hmm. backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, Emma Smith-DeVoe came up, like, was raised very respectably. She had the skills of like the perfect domesticated woman. Um, but she wasn't very rich, and then May grew up kind of poor. She came out west, she made her living, and then got rich. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the class struggle like in the Pacific Northwest, kind of from 1890 to 1910? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thanks. Well, I think you're, uh, you're right, obviously, to point to the difference between the two. I think... Uh, Emma Smith-DeVoe is more typical of uh, women's suffrage activists than Mae Hutton, uh, in, in part because I think uh, people who were less educated or were poor or whatever just didn't have the time at some level uh, to uh, participate in some of the active, activist uh, movements themselves or the suffrage, suffrage movements themselves. Uh, as far as just the class struggle, it certainly was an important part of Pacific Northwest history in the, the years that you identify, uh, largely because of the kind of economy that we had, uh, an extractive economy um, in the mines, in the forests in particular, uh, that produced a need for 
um, low-cost labor and oftentimes unskilled or relatively unskilled labor. So the net of that was uh, a situation where employers could uh, hire and fire fairly easily and uh, not pay much of a cost for that. So, so what uh, resulted in in uh, the IWW, uh, really a union that was attempting to empower people in the unskilled working class. I mean that that as we've seen in our class, that was a you know that was an important part of the dynamic here. After exploring some more of my interview with Dale, let's kind of get back in the story, the narrative, if you will. So where we left off is that Hutton pushed Washington state senators to vote for women's suffrage. Now, Hutton, you know, she was just doing what she did. She was very flamboyant. She was pushy. She was perceived as unladylike. DeVoe saw Hutton's actions as an endangering the entire, like, the passing of women's suffrage by pushing these senators to vote a certain way. She was angry at Hutton for directly going against her, pretty much, and punished Hutton for endangering the vote by withdrawing Hutton's invite to the 1909 NAWSA convention. Now, Dr. Cora Smith, who is another well-known suffragette figure at this time, um, she graduated medical school, she climbed like a summit for women's suffrage, an amazing person. She was treasurer of WESA, and she advised a vote not to revoke Hutton's invite because that would cause more conflict and wouldn't solve anything. But DeVoe didn't listen. She put her foot down and she withdrew Hutton's invite. Hutton saw invitation withdrawal as punishment for just disobeying DeVoe. And she thought that DeVoe's control over the association was not okay for the association to work like that. So Hutton kind of joined forces with these younger radical women and they got together. She paid the dues um, for these new women to be brought into like association. She really gathered people and their platform was that they wanted a society woman to be president of WESA and eliminate um, the NAWSA giving the WESA president a salary. They believed that by giving a salary to the WESA president, it was a conflict of interest and that the president wouldn't actively work towards women's suffrage because she was getting paid for it. So she would always be in limbo and be, she wasn't independent of it. So the kicker is DeVoe was not a society woman. Um, she was very middle class. Her husband worked. She worked. Her wages, her salary definitely helped with the family's income and helped them survive. And, you know, she relied on her salary. But Hutton started gathering support for women 
across the state in order to bring a large number of delegates to the 1909 convention and topple Devo's administration. Now, they didn't just plan to kick her out. Um, they had planned to give Carrie Hill, another well-known suffragette figure, the presidency and place Devo as a professional organizer. Having Devo made as a professional organizer may have been the best. Um, DeVoe's presidency uh, of WESA, you know, her administration tactics weren't the best. Maybe she wasn't well suited for being a president, but she did have lots of experience and was good at being an organizer. And as we're talking about these suffragette leaders and figures, I asked Dale a few questions about the role of figureheads in activist movements. Suffragette movement, suffrage movement. There were two main figureheads in Washington, Mae Hudson and Emma DeVoe. Mm -hmm. um, and now what I've noticed is there's not a whole lot of figureheads in modern activist movements. Mm -hmm. um, do you think having a figurehead of a movement is helpful or hurtful? And kind of explore that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's helpful. I mean, I think that uh, you know if we think of the civil rights movement itself, uh, having a, a Martin Luther King Jr. be associated with it, uh, there were obviously other leaders, uh, but still, uh, I think his name recognition, his ability to speak eloquently to what the issue. Uh, was I think is is, is helpful I, and I think uh, uh, you know any Cesar Chavez uh, with the farm work, farm workers movement um, um, but you're right to say that you know a lot of these movements are you know don't don't have uh, a name that we easily acknowledge or 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 recognize and some of that has to do with with um, differences within the movement itself. You know, the, just thinking of the anti-war movement in the 60s, I mean, there were many, many different uh, factions of the anti-war movement. And that then, you know, really uh, made it difficult to identify, you know, one person, uh, more or less. Uh, it worked actually in the opposite direction with someone like Jane Fonda, who uh, was you know, was just uh, attacked mercilessly by the the right. And so she came to symbolize for conservatives, you know, how terrible the anti-war movement was. And, and still today, people lift up Jane Fonda as a traitor, you know, to the country. So it, it um, again, it can work, it can work both positively and, and negatively. But I think on balance, it's good to have people who have a wider audience and uh, can speak at least partly for the values or the vision of the, of the, uh, the movement itself. So in response to Hutton gathering women, paying their dues to the association for them, 
gathering forces and wanting to kind of topple DeVoe's administration, Eaton, Dr. Eaton, who we mentioned before, refused any dues sent by Hutton for the women that she was gathering. Um, she pretty much was like, nope, no thank you. <laughs> um, Eaton also threatened to blackmail Hutton for her supposed past, devious past in Idaho. Um, she Eaton claimed that Hutton like ran a brothel under the name Bootleg Mary and like was a prostitute and all these other things, these devious acts that a society woman trying to, um, you know, protest for women's votes, just, it wouldn't be good for her to have. So if Hutton attempted to do anything or try to go to the convention, the information Eaton had would be leaked to the press. However, Eaton's claims were proven false when an investigator named Mr. Savage went to Idaho and found no signs of Hutton being known as Bootleg Mary or evidence of her ever running a brothel. Um, leading into the convention, in June, DeVoe organized the Suffrage Special, which was a train that gathered delegates from across the state to the convention. It also had families fetch suffragette speakers who made stump speeches at every stop promoting women's suffrage. When they, when they came to Spokane, Hutton threw like the most lavish like welcome party. They had dinner. She really wined and dined these suffragettes, and um, she like had a whole other like train car added to the train, so her and her girls could go to the convention. Um, and she paid for her girls' tickets and all that. But when Hutton and you know the woman that she gathered got to Seattle and got to the convention and like tried to get in, they were turned away. They're like, nope, you know, we didn't get any of your dues, your invitation was withdrawn. And this led to chaos, absolute chaos. There was name calling, there were several arrests, um, and it was just pandemonium. And, you know, Hutton and her women, you know, didn't get in. And Emma Smith DeVoe was reelected as president of WESA. Now, the NAWSA investigated this incident outside the convention, and DeVoe was not happy that they were even investigating. She thought they had no right to investigate. She thought that she was in the right. Um, when she was called to give her statement, she suggested that, you know, the formation of a new organization for East Washington with, you know, Hutton and all the women that she gathered for support was the best solution. Just divide, it'd be fine. But, you know, the National American Women's Suffrage Association didn't like that. And, you know, gave DeVoe an ultimatum. She either patched things up with the Eastern suffragettes or she lost her salary, which is something that we've discussed was very important to her livelihood. DeVoe being the strong-willed woman that she is, said no. And, you know, the NAWSA fires her. Um, but, you know, DeVoe doesn't completely 
get ejected from the entire association. Um, she's still involved in WESA. She's just not the president. And so while she's, like, still working in WESA, Hutton forms a new association called the Washington Political Equality League. So a bit more broad. And both women move on with their lives doing amazing charity work involving women's rights. And Hutton um, and her husband Levi, like, open a children's home. And, you know, Emma DeVoe, like, works on a, like, a larger political scale and helps women, new women voters after the 19th Amendment. And they both do amazing things with their lives. Both powerful figureheads in the suffrage movement. And in this next clip, I talked to Dale Soden about how conflicting figureheads in activist movements influence the message in the movement itself. After talking about figureheads and how beneficial or mm -hmm. um, negative, hurtful they can be to a movement, um, how, how does like having two figureheads of a movement conflict mm -hmm. affect yeah. Well, I think the closest analogy that I could come up with would be, um, oh, maybe Bernie Sanders, to see if you agree with this, Bernie Sanders versus Joe Biden, or Bernie Sanders and maybe Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, that, that it, it helps, uh, on the one hand, broaden the base of support because some people identify with one and some people identify with the other. Um, but it, you know, it can also, it can also, again, uh, lead to some conflict in terms of strategy and approach and not that these movements have to always be unified and, and kind of a top-down deal. A lot of them are grassroots, bottom-up, and so, you know, they don't, again, really need uh, to have a unified presence, but I, I, again, so I think there's pluses and minuses. Uh, broadens, but it also is is a uh, a bit of a um, fragmenting element. Where no, I'm for I, I I would vote for Bernie Sanders, but I'd never vote for Joe Biden, or I'd never vote for you know Elizabeth Warren. and May Hutton were both influential figures in the Washington suffrage movement. Their different socioeconomic backgrounds influenced the strategies and methods they used to gain support for the suffrage movement. This division within the Washington suffrage movement did attract different types of women to the cause, increasing numbers of um, members of the associations, but this conflict between two major figureheads also divided the movement and caused unnecessary conflict. This is seen in the National American Women's Suffrage Association Convention in 1909 and its effects in the creation of 
the Washington Political Equality League and Emma stepping down from her role as president of WESA.